alone is our our hope. You may be seated. Okay, all right. Hey, good morning, everyone. All right, good to see you guys. All right. Well, um, we are starting a new series entitled Living on the Edge. And as you can see, there is a picture there of a person just looking over a mountainside and just imagining, just looking over and just standing on the edge. I don't know about you, but if I were standing there, I wouldn't be standing too close to the edge. I'd be backing off about five or ten steps and making sure I've got plenty of view without having to look over the edge. And, uh, but I'll tell you, in light of everything we've been seeing in our, and, and, and all that we've been experiencing in the last 15 months, one of the things that we have to realize that we talked about last week is going back to the basics, getting back to the scriptures, seeing the importance of us making a difference in, 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 the, in light of our culture. And today, what we're going to start in the next three weeks, starting today, is talking about sharing our faith and how important it is and how sometimes it could feel like we're living on the edge <laughs> because it's risky to do some of this because some of us who know that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for our sin, to ask that question, hey, have you shared your faith with someone? It's just, it's like someone just standing on the edge of a cliff and looking down and saying, you got to be kidding me. You're asking me to do that? Because I'll tell you, it's, it kind of gets us into that perspective when we realize how important it is to share our faith. But sometimes there's a need for us that it's going to be difficult, it's going to be challenging. And so we need the power of the Holy Spirit to work in us. So we need to take that step. We need to get on the edge. We need to feel like we're looking over the edge. But I don't know about you, but I can go about so far in a ladder and then I start to feel a little bit concerned how high I'm up. Because if it's not secure on that ladder... I'm not going to bounce around what I call like a monkey. You know, I'm not going to jump around and just kind of, my body type doesn't work that way. So I'll go so high, but if I have to look down, I'll start to get a little nervous unless I know I'm secure. But I will not stand on an edge of a cliff knowing what's in front of me. There's no security. I'm one who kind of steps back. But I have to be willing, and I'll put myself out there, to understand what does it take for me to take that initiative to go towards the edge. And to believe that even though it's going to be very scary and fearful, I have to be willing to face it. And I just want to show you guys how important it is. You know, I'm, I'm entitling the sermon, Be Initiators. I want to show you a couple of pictures here of some people that are really risk takers. Uh, they took the initiative to do this. I mean, I, I don't know. There's somebody in Brazil, this group of people in Brazil that did this. Um, you know, I, I, that just scares me. And then to do this too, like, I don't think those are good friends right there letting that other person hang out on the side over there. And then this woman has a really strong core because she's, she's hanging there and I can't even do that on the ground. I can't Indian sit. I can't sit up and I think my body type is so weird. 
um, but that's amazing. And, um, and I saw these pictures on Facebook, and so I thought, you know, wow, these guys are, you know, so I looked at them, I said, wow, that's a really cool picture, and she's hanging on there, and then this one's a little bit backed off, she's not, you know, she's kind of taking, she's not taking as much of a risk, but this guy's insane, I mean, I don't know what he's doing there, that's just, to me, I, gosh, I don't even, I, I, gosh, just looking at it just makes me scared out of my mind. And these two people are too in love because I couldn't do that. I don't know about you, but I, I, I don't know. Husband, wife, would you take a risk and do that? I don't think I would. I couldn't even hold up. I mean, it's, so I'm looking, so I'm looking at these pictures and I saw them on Facebook and I said, wow. And, um, you know, I just said, wow, that's incredible. And then I saw them again. I said, oh, I got to get those pictures for my sermon. And I saw laughy faces underneath. And I said, Hey, why are they laughing faces? Are people laughing at them? I mean, this is not funny. I mean, this is serious stuff here. I mean, you know, these people are taking, they're, they're taking a really, they're taking risk here on their lives. They're living on the edge here for me. And then I saw this at the end. And there's a perspective here. As you can see, now this all makes sense, right? So there, there, it's a green screen, right? So it makes it look like they're living off of this cliff and hanging on where they're only three feet off the ground. I can do that. But, but what, see, here's the thing, though. Can you imagine, though, if those pictures are real and you were standing there or you were hanging on the cliff? I mean, isn't that like when we think about sharing our faith, we see that it's taking a risk? And it just makes our heart drop and fearful and scared. I'm going to mix the words. I'm going to tumble and fumble my words. And I don't even know what to do. I'm going to say words I don't even know. I'm just going to feel really vulnerable and adequate to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, I know what Jesus did for me. And I know that God sent his son and all. But to actually share it with someone, uh, no, I don't think so. And your heart just drops, just like as though you were going to look over a cliff. Well, I'll tell you, that's how I felt when I first came to Christ. And it's perspective because, see, the difference here is the Holy Spirit makes it only three feet off the ground. See, God sets it up. He's the initiator of the Holy Spirit. He leads us. He sets up the whole situation for us. The encounter, he sets it all up. The Holy Spirit's the one who begins to speak. He speaks through us. He gives us the words to share. But if we don't think that the Holy Spirit is there, it's like this big drop. And I want to show you that the perspective is that God's trying to show us that we're only three feet off the ground. Because God's doing the work if we allow him to do it. If we just allow ourselves to be used of God in that way. I just want to show you a video here. Now, that's pretty, uh, you might think, oh, that's not so bad, right? And then you start to look at the buildings around. That's like a 40-story building right there. Um, look at down there. Uh, that's pretty tall. Um, I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't doubt, didn't say on there how far that was, but I wouldn't doubt that's 70 stories up. And that will blow your mind. I mean, I, I lived... Obviously, Stanford, Connecticut, near New York, and Empire State Building, I was once up there, and I was, I was afraid. I was just afraid and scared out of my mind. I wouldn't even go close to the edge. But that's 100 stories up. And but I have to ask some questions here. What does living on the edge really mean to the American evangelical Christian? What does it really mean? 
um, we live in our comforts. We live in our conveniences. I mean, what does it mean to really live on the edge? Another question is, if living on the edge means taking risks or taking a chance, what are those risks Christians should take? I mean, what are the risks? What is that we have to do in order to live on that edge, to step over? What is it that we have to face, that fear, that drop that we have to get over? What is it that, because God will set it up, and he'll make it feel like it's three feet off the ground, but we still see a big drop. What kind of risk will we have to take? Are we afraid the inadequacy? Are we afraid that we just, we're not eloquent in our speech? We'll just leave it up to the professional. I mean, what is it going to take? Lastly, he says, do we really believe the message of the gospel? Are we truly convinced of it? Well, I, you know, I looked up another article this past week, and uh, Barner Group is a, a, a group where they do a lot of research and asking questions. And one of them was, the article was entitled, Sharing Your Faith is Increasingly Optional for Christians. Um, and they wanted to show how the stats showed that it became more optional than people seeing it as a command, as an expectation for us. So they stated, converting people to Christianity is a job of the local church. In 1993, now this is a 25-year span. They wanted to see the difference in 25 years. In 1993, 10% agreed to that. 10% agreed that converting people to Christianity is a job of the local church. 1993. Well, and you got to know that 86 disagreed with only 5% that were neutral. 2018 now, 29% agree with that, that it's the, it's the job of the local church. 47 disagree, and 24% are neutral. Now, what does that tell us just in, in that particular statement? What does it tell us as the church? The American Evangelical Christian Church is less interested in sharing the gospel and expects the local church to do the work. How does the church do the work? Well, we pay the professional. We pay the professional theologian pastor to lead the people to Christ through relationship, non-intimate settings. This is a non-intimate setting. To most of you, I won't even talk to you today. I'll say hello, goodbye, how's it going? I'll talk to you about 10 seconds and I'll move on to the next person. It's non-intimate. And yet we know that 95% of people who come to faith in Jesus Christ is through a personal, intimate relationship. So here we have this, this struggle, this challenge, this tension. And the neutral in this statement tells us more that people are less interested in the gospel and the truth in the church. Why? Because people, it's lack of relationships. It's the lack of the intentionality of discipleship. It's the lack of understanding that you can't have discipleship without evangelism and you can't have evangelism without discipleship. And we don't understand that. It doesn't grab on us, and we don't really want to be around each other. And what happens is the lack of engagement, intentionality, and informing of others because of the need of urgency is because of the disruption and interruption of media and social media. But it's our problem because we're not challenging you guys with urgency that each of us need to reach someone. Each one needs to reach one. And so it's important for us. Here's the second thing. Every Christian has the responsibility to share their faith. 
1993, 89% agreed. 89%. 10% disagreed. So it was an advantage that every Christian has the responsibility to do that. 2% were neutral. So that was a definitive that all people should be sharing the, their faith. 2018, 64% agree with that. A 25% drop. 15% disagree. 21% are neutral. What does that tell you again? It tells you people don't really care. They're falling away. They're falling away. The, the, the suppression of truth, the absolute truth of the media and social media, the need to join the political discussions, and we're lacking to see the responsibility that we have that the Holy Spirit doesn't work through the political realm. The Holy Spirit works through the local church, through his people. And we who have the temple of God who live should be sharing the gospel because we're the mouthpiece for Jesus Christ. We're the billboards. They need to see Christ in us. And we got to be careful because the Holy Spirit is calling for us to do that more than ever, especially coming out of what, what I hope to is going to be this pandemic. And we have to share the gospel. It's our time now to get back to the basics and sharing the gospel because this depression, this depression, the suicidals are going up, and because we have the answer, we have the answer to life, we have the plan of salvation, but we just don't seem to share it like we should. And this is challenging for each one of us. So what's this content of faith? Let me just share with you quickly this content of faith. Well, it starts here, the sovereignty of God. I mean, if, we, if we're going to look at Acts chapter 2 very quickly, and we're going to talk about Peter. Peter was bold. Peter just saw the Pentecost, all the people from different areas, the dysphoria of Jews, and all peoples came into Jerusalem, and they came back, and the Spirit of God moves on this place, and all these people from all these different languages, from all these different places, were speaking and glorifying God. Then Peter speaks with great boldness to the Jews, to the ones who crucified Jesus. And here, the Jews... Did not want to hear it, but Peter spoke in boldness. Now, in verse 14 of chapter 2 of Acts, it says that he addresses the crowd. It's not, in the Greek, it's not what he's about to say, that word address means. The, the word address in the Greek gives it, just a connotation of how loud he's going to be. His volume. He's speaking loudly with boldness, with conviction, because he's seen it. He's walked with Jesus. He knows he's been resurrected from the dead. He's seen this. And now he's proclaiming it to all the people in front of him. Crowds of people. And here he's challenging them about the plan that is before him. The plan of God. The plan of salvation. That's why when we see here, it says, men of Israel. Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in the midst, as you yourselves know. Because they said, you've seen it, you've heard of it. He said, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Let me just stop there. That's I call 23A. The word attested, it means this, and it's an important word here. Show forth the quality of an entity to show forth display. Here was God the Father's approval of the Son, the missio Dei, the plan of God, the unity between the Father and the Son in the Trinity, that he brought him here for a purpose. So here he is attested, approved, and here Peter is speaking about this plan, the sovereignty of God. And what is the plan? 
that he's going to hand him over to Jews to be crucified, to suffer, die, and be buried. That was the plan. That was the sovereignty of God. Nine times out of 12 in the, in, in, in the New Testament, Luke writes of this, that the Father's plan was to hand him over to the Jews to be crucified. So that we know, it's a sovereignty of God, that God the Father sent the Son to die in the place of sinners. Number two, this is important, the responsibility of man. And the responsibility of man is that man is sinner. Sin of mankind was placed on Jesus. Look in the last part of verse 23. It says this, it says, um, it, it, it highlights that this is Jesus delivered up according to the definite and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You know what he did? He just, he was living on the edge. He says, you crucified them. He called them out. He was bold. He was strong. He didn't care. He made it clear. You crucified him. It's your responsibility. You've sinned before God. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Man is depraved, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Dead in their trespasses and their sin. They walk in them. We all walk in them. We're sinners. We fall short. We miss the mark of perfection. Even Peter was saying that in Acts 4, 10, and 12. He says, let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone which was rejected by you. The builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which one must be saved. Peter, with such boldness, such passion, said, you are responsible for the death of Jesus Christ. But we are as well. Our sin has been placed on Jesus. Number three, as we see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is part of the plan of salvation. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, he overcame Satan in the power of death. Verse 24. Of chapter 2, it says this, God raised him up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. God raised him up, resurrected him from death, from loosing him, setting him free from the agony of death. This was in light of the pain that a mother goes through when she's giving giving, giving with child, she's, she's giving birth. She's going through the pain. Now, I had a really... I call the idiot moment of my life. My wife was having, uh, she was giving birth to our third child, Giuseppe, and she was there. She was in a lot of pain, but she was being a little snappy with the nurse, and I felt bad for the nurse. And so I just kind of said a really stupid, idiotic thing. I said, well, honey, is it really that bad? I mean, you're really in that much pain? And then she was like, and she said, yes, I am. And I was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. And so I'm still hearing that. But, I mean, it's just like the biggest idiot moment of my life. And, um, and I'm sitting there and I'm wondering why. Because I can't relate. I have no idea what a woman goes through when she's given birth. But that word there is highlighting the agony. So men, we have to be very sensitive. Don't be like me. Be very sensitive. Because we have no idea. We're a big... We're just a bunch of babies. When we get a cut, we cry, and they go through the pain. So children, love your mothers because they went through a lot of pain. And the agony and the, the, the excruciating pain, and that's what Jesus did for you and I. He took on the agony of death for you and I. We don't have to experience it as Christians. 
when we pass from this life into the next, instantaneously, the Bible says we're going to be in the presence of God. We don't have to experience that. The sting of death will no longer have it on us. And I want to tell you something. I really believe there's, there could be someone in this room who needs to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I believe there's someone in this room that doesn't know that they can be passed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light of their son. From being from death to life. And Jesus wants to offer us life, eternal life, the assurance of eternal life. And when we can, is the plan of salvation is simply this, that Jesus rose from the dead. So we too, when we die, we will rise up with him. He took on that death for you and I. Okay, number, number four in this is authority of Jesus. He sits at the right hand of the Father. This is important. Many of us would never include this in the gospel message. Many of us would think this is too theological. But let me just share a couple of things here. See, when Jesus, he rose from the dead, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, which is authority. The Father gave him all authority. Judgment and authority was given to him, John 5, 22. And so it's important to understand that Jesus stands there and he rules and he reigns. But here's the thing. When we say realize eschatology, the eschaton, the future, the realize is this. It's called the already, not yet. When you trust in Christ, Luke writes of it in chapter 17 that God, Jesus, Jesus, the man of, who is the Messiah, rules and reigns in our hearts. But not yet in its fullness with the millennial kingdom. And so when we trust in Christ, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and he's ruling and reigning in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. So he's, the saving activity is that when God is working in our lives every day through the power of the Holy Spirit, it's a testimony to Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father in authority that we are showing forth that authority because Christ is living in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's when he takes residence in us. So we have to understand that that's where the rule and reign is in our lives. That's why he says Peter is highlighting that in this whole passage here. Because he's attesting to the fact that throughout it, he's talking about da David and he's talking about how it's difficult and, and a struggle. And he was telling him how he was trying to find common ground to discuss it with him. And then they talk about David. But David testifies in the Old Testament and even in the Psalms, which is Psalm 16, 8 through 11, which is a messianic psalm. David is attesting to the fact that he, who is the king of the Jews, and he was a king, that there was someone who was coming in his descendant line that will rule and reign and will not see corruption. He will not be, his body will not decay. But what Peter is saying in verse 29, prior to verse 33, he says this, Brothers, I may say to you in co with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried in his tomb is with us to this day. But Jesus is not in the tomb. David is still there. David knew that this Lord who was coming after him was going to be this one who was going to be messianic because he knew that the Davidic kingdom was yet to come. So here God is speaking through Peter to show forth the authority that is laying out in front of him to the Jews and hang, hanging, saying Peter's bearing witness. Because now verse 33 says, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this to you yourselves, are seeing and hearing. You can't deny it, Jews. This David is now here in the line of David, Jesus, whom I'm speaking of, whom you crucified. You put him in the tomb. But he rose from the tomb. He's no longer there. 
This is our salvation. This is what we hold on. This is the plan of salvation. And now the promise of the Holy Spirit is present. Because now with the promise of the Holy Spirit, it was given to us through Pentecost, the church age. And now what was once temporary and, and, and selective is now permanent and indwelling in the New Testament, in the church. So if the Holy Spirit is promised through Peter speaking because of the Pentecost, you and I have the Holy Spirit that lives in us, but what are we doing about it? Because the Holy Spirit is telling us to share the gospel, the plan of salvation. And so we're commanded to do that. It's not an option. <laughs> it's a command. It's an expectation. I know it doesn't feel good. I know it feels like you're standing over a cliff and saying, yeah, really, Lord, I got to share the gospel. Uh, nah, not working for me. But remember, when the Holy Spirit is present in tune, then it's like a three-foot drop. That's all it is. And I could just go, oh, that's nothing, Lord. I could do that. I could do it again. Lord, hey, I can do it again. You get excited, you can do it. Because the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to do it. And that's what he's doing. That's what he's talking about it. And that's why it's important for us to see that we need to be initiators through the power of the Holy Spirit. God is doing that in us and through us for his purpose. Remember, it's even saying at the beginning in Acts 1.8, just prior, a chapter before, we know that very clearly. When you look at that verse, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and at the end of the earth. So you and I are witnesses that God is working in our lives, that he's changed us, that he's transforming us. So we want to share that gospel, right? You're like, uh, yeah, uh. Don't we want to share the gospel? Then we need to share the gospel, but God wants to work through our lives so we can share it. And we've got to ask God to do that work. So as initiators sharing the gospel, we need to because, and God's provided everything. He's provided that plan of salvation. He's provided it for us. Now, as he spoke throughout this passage, he brings forth an important part here because in the plan of salvation, it's very clear. He, he brings a summary here. He said, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain, know for certain, Without a shadow of a doubt, no question, that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He says it again. He says it. And see, now, we would look at this and say, sure, Lord, curios. He's Lord. He sits at the right hand of the, of, of the Father. He's in authority. He's Lord. He's the Christ, the Messiah, the one who, who was brought to us. But the word made is a very important word. You would think, oh, okay, well, we use the word made all the time. I made a batch of cookies. I made some dinner. I made a cake, which I'm coming over to eat in a little bit. You know I mean? Like, you know, you made something, right? So, but God, what that word means in the Greek is that he's sovereign, in control. He set this up. This was his plan. It goes back to verse 22 and 23, the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Peter was sharing it. Peter was saying, this is the plan. Jesus had to come to die. And that's the beauty of understanding it. Number two, as initiators, we have the power of the Holy Spirit. He's provided the power of the Holy Spirit. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, what we see is Peter was sharing is this is what happened. When he shared it, look at what the power of the Holy Spirit do. Look at verse 37. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. The word cut means stab, pierce. Jesus was pierced and stabbed for you and I 
he took on our sin, he died in place of us, and now the Holy Spirit is cutting and stabbing at us to share the gospel. You see that? He's saying, share the gospel, because when you share the gospel, I want to cut and stab and convict people to be saved, to know God the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And see, he's doing that, and that's what was happening to the Jews. They were being cut, meaning they were being convicted because of their guilt and their shame and their sin, the emotion, the remorse, because they crucified him. See, they were being convicted once which they said was, let's crucify him because he's a liar and a lunatic. Let's just put him on the cross. Now they feel remorse for it because the power of the Holy Spirit is at work. So when we get scared and we're living on the edge and we're afraid of that drop, the Holy Spirit's like, I got this. I'm setting up the encounter. I'll take initiative. I'll set you up. All you have to do is just be ready to share it. Invite someone to a relationship with the Father. I'll take care of the rest. It's my work anyway, right? Right. <laughs> so the drop is not thousands and thousands of feet below us. It's just three foot. Because God wants to do that work. And we just have to believe that he's provided the power of the Holy Spirit. What does the power of the Holy Spirit do? Well, look at it. It says this. It says, brothers, he goes, he says, and Peter said to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent. Repent. See, repentance doesn't mean to stop sinning. You might think, well, wait a minute, what do you mean, Bruno, not stop sinning? Because we can't do it unless we look to Jesus. <laughs> We're always sinning, right? We sin all day long, many, many times, and we can't deny it. The Holy Spirit is present. Or we don't improve ourselves by sinning less. If I sin a little bit less, maybe God will love me a little bit more today. No. Or if I feel sorry for my sin, and we tell everybody about our sin, and then we just keep doing it, but we feel good that we got it off our chest, and we go back to sinning again. No, that's not repentance. See, repentance is the turnabout face going the other direction. It's forsaking the sin and going in another direction. And what that direction is, it tells when you're going in the direction of Jesus. Because when you go in the direction of Jesus, you see Jesus. The Holy Spirit shows you Jesus. And when you see the sinless Savior, you begin to just melt and confess. And you're convicted. And then you ask for you confess your sin and you're forgiven of your sin, you're cleansed of your sin, and God's saying, now you get it. I'm drawing you to myself through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what repentance is. And when he says be baptized, some would take this in theological terms or in theological realms that one would need to be baptized in order to receive the forgiveness of sin. Look at here, it says this, it says, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Now, the word for in the Greek is a preposition that could mean purpose or it could mean in the basis of. So baptism is for, you have to have the basis of forgiveness. It's the opposite effect. You need to be forgiven of your sin before you're baptized. You don't just get baptized and then you're forgiven of your sin. You have to be forgiven of your sin and then the response is the basis of it, the foundation of it is then, is that I'm going to proclaim my salvation to all people by being baptized. It's an outward appearance. It's an outward work. But it doesn't do anything for the inside. The forgiveness of sin comes through trusting in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it comes, and when it does, then we receive the Holy Spirit. That's what he says lastly. Then you receive the Holy Spirit, the permanent indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. 
working in our lives. See, when God does a work in our hearts, we naturally desire to share the gospel of Christ. And there are many, well, there are a couple of ways that you can do that. And we need to share the gospel because that's the first step towards discipleship. And the power of the Holy Spirit wants to give us those opportunities. So here's a couple of ways. One is proclaim evangelism. We proclaim the gospel. We preach it. We teach it. But we don't invite anyone. We just tell them about it. We inform them. We don't invite. Now, that's good. It works. We inform someone. That's awesome. But an atheist can do that too, right? I mean, they can, they can inform you of Jesus Christ and the plan of salvation, right? So they don't invite someone because they don't know Jesus. They don't believe. But they can inform. So proclaiming evangelism is a good thing, but you got to follow up. It needs a little bit more. So now the second thing is presence evangelism. These are people who just want to live out their faith. Hey, I, I, I don't want to fumble and bumble my words. Um, I just uh, will not speak it. I'm not eloquent enough. I'll leave it up to you, Pastor. You, you share the gospel. Hey, I'm just going to live it. I'm going to live a good life, and I'm going to live a moral life. I'm going to be a good Christian. I want to see people are going to see that I'm different, and then they might ask me a question, and I'll tell them to go talk to my pastor. But here's the thing. They're going to sit there, and they're going to live a good life, and I mean, living in Christ, and they're going to show forth the love of Jesus through their lives, treating their wives well, or husbands well, or they're going to treat their children well, and someone could come to faith in Christ, but that stops short of what God's called us to do. Lastly, there's, I call it persuasion evangelism, sharing the gospel, inviting them to come, and doing it in a forcing manner, like you are a person that goes around the whole crowd and tells everybody about Jesus. And you go through and you just tell everybody about Jesus. And you tell them, you need to know about Christ. You need to know Christ. And you're not really doing it with passion. You're just doing it because you think you have to do it. And that's good because someone could be saved from that. <laughs> someone could come to faith in Christ. It could be that one person that God wants you to reach. But there's really no passion behind it. See, God does the work. God saves the person who's far away from God. It's not us. But we have to share the information. We need to invite people to it. And that's important. That's through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lastly, this. God has given us a purpose to participate in the kingdom. That's why we need to share the gospel. That's why we need to be initiators in sharing the gospel, because he's given us purpose. Look with me at Acts 2. Verses 39 through 40 says, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Well, let me first start here. For the promise is re reference to the Abrahamic covenant. It wasn't just to the Jews. It wasn't to the people who were going to be born from the Jews, the generations ahead. It was from those far off, the Gentiles. That's the Abrahamic covenant. That's the promise, the covenantal promise that was given. And Peter was sharing that because it's through the Pentecost. It's the new covenant. It's the spirit of God. So God's doing a work in the church where he's bringing Jews and Gentiles in the name of Jesus together to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through our lives. And he's saying that he said, save yourselves from this crooked generation, this crooked people. And he's because he was exhorting them. He was coming alongside them. He was warning them. But what was he warning them of? What was the crooked generation? It was the people who crucified Jesus and put him on the cross. 
How many today in our nation? Social media? Media? Universities? The political agenda? They're all still trying to crucify Jesus. They want to get rid of him. They don't want no part of him. They're trying to remove him. They're suppressing the truth of the gospel. They're coming after us. They're trying to get us out of the way. Let me tell you something, guys. We're not going to win it politically. That's not where the power of the Holy Spirit works. The power of the Holy Spirit works through the local church. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father in authority. We have the plan of salvation. We have the answer to life. We don't need to run through the political realm to be able to win people to Jesus Christ. We're not going to win people to Jesus Christ. We're only going to win people to Jesus Christ through the plan of salvation when we proclaim it, when we share it, and we invite people. But we got to be in tune with the Spirit because when we're in tune with the Spirit, God is at work. And that's what we have to do. Guys, I'm going to tell you right now, you're not going to win a soul to anyone who's working in the political realm. Apologetics doesn't work. It's evangelism. And we have the answer. Let's stop looking to other resources for the answer. We've got the word of God, and we've got the plan of salvation, and we've got the power of the Holy Spirit. Now it's time to go to work. Guys, it's time. If you want to know something, I just ran you in a huddle. Let's go execute it now. Let's execute the play. It's time to do that. Enough huddling. It's time to get out there. And you know what? You're going to drop the ball. You're going to drop a pass. You're going to miss. You're going to throw an interception. But so what? We're going we're to preach the gospel. And it's got to be done through you. It can't be done through the professional only. It's got to be done through each of you. You are all called for the kingdom of God. We have a purpose. Peter spoke it loud and clear. He addressed the crowd and had not what to what he said, but the passion that God gave him. Because he lived it, because he knew it, because he saw it. And he said, I'm here. I am well. He says, he said, he goes, I am well. I am the one whom is here to share with you. Because this is the information. I see God has given us. We introduce the information. God produces the transformation. So we have it. <laughs> and this is what he says. Peter says, so those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Let me tell you something. You want to see the church grow? We got to share the gospel. We got to share the gospel. So here's the intention. Here's the intention. Because I'll tell you something. Intentional initiators share information. They share the information. And when they share the information, they give an invitation. That's the intentional initiator. We've got to be intentional. God's given us a simple formula here. Prayer. Let me encourage you. Let me apply it. Prayer. Ask God to give you an opportunity. Ask God to give you an opportunity. I prayed that this morning on my way up. God, give me an opportunity to share the gospel. Prayed that. Two, care. Live out your faith. Establish relationships and show compassion. Establish them. We got to stop hanging out with each other too much. We hang out with Christians too much. We're I challenge you. I challenge myself. How many unbelievers do you know in your life? Yeah, you can hear a pin drop. Three, share it. Be ready to share the gospel at any time. You got the plan. It's set before you. Share it. We have cards for you. Today, we made some cards. We branded our own evangelistic cards. I have it in a business card form. You can put it in your wallet. 
It's got the plan of salvation. We did a diagnostic question. It says, have you been living on the edge by not considering where you will go after you die? It's a diagnostic question. It's for both of us. It's for us who's doing it. It's a double meaning, meaning I need to live on the edge to share the gospel. I need to ask someone, are you living on the edge, not considering where you're going after you die? It's the plan of salvation, and you have a prayer that could lead you. If you tell me you can't do it, you can do it with these cards. It's that simple. You got a bookmark. If you still have a book or if you get Kindle, I don't care. Put this on your refrigerator. Remind you to share the gospel. You have one. You take people out for breakfast, lunch, associates, you know, people you work with, share the gospel. Look, it has even a little picture back there showing the chasm between God and man and the need for Jesus Christ. Today, I got two candy bars for you. They're not melting. Thank, thank the Lord. They melted in my hand the other day. Two candy bars. One's for you, and another one is to give it to someone. Because on here it says, we got, you, we got you something sweet, and we're saving you a seat. We hope you'll come and join us on Sunday morning. Invite someone to church. It's going in our visitor cup. These are branding. This is what we're doing now. We want to give you resources to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what this was all about. This is what we want to do. We want to share the gospel, and we need to do that. It's worth every bit of my time extra today to tell you that. And I want to tell you something. We need to get out there. You can't say, well, I don't know what to do. We've given it to you. Well, I don't know what to do. Take an extra candy bar. We'll buy a bunch of them. Just put more money in the bucket. I mean, we'll keep buying these candy bars. I really don't care. If it's a resource to lead someone to Christ, by all means, I'll buy them myself. I don't care. Let's get kingdom work. Let's participate in the kingdom and see a revival happening in our community by reaching the world for Jesus Christ. It's got to start with us. We got to do it. I can't do it. Pastor Dennis can't do it. The pastoral team can't do it. We got to take that risk, and it's not a risk, because when the Holy Spirit works, what is it? A three-foot drop. God will do it. We got to believe God for that. Let me take a moment and pray. I'm going to do something I don't often do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present the gospel, because um, I believe there's somebody in this room that needs to come to Christ. The Holy Spirit was telling me that during the song. There's someone in this room that needs to even come forward. And I don't care if you have the courage to come forward right now. I would love to share the gospel with you or if you want to do it right by your seat. But I'm just going to simply share the message of the gospel and pray. And if you're there and you don't know where you're going to be after you pass away and you don't know if you're going to be in eternity with God, you can today. You can come to faith in Jesus Christ by believing that Jesus Christ is God and that he died on the cross for your sin. You and I deserve nothing but separation from God. We put him on the cross. Our sin, our good is not good enough. We desperately need the atonement of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross. And he rose from the dead. And if we believe that when we die, we will rise with him. That is trusting in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you, if you are today and you don't know, if you were to die today, that you would not be in the presence of God or be able to go into heaven for eternal life. I want to give you that opportunity today. It's simply just confessing and believing in Jesus Christ. So I want you to bow your heads. For those who do know Jesus, please pray with me. Pray for me as we lead someone to faith in Christ. Father, thank you for this opportunity today. It is so worth our extra five minutes to believe that, God, you 
are here to do a work at Grace Church worldwide. God, we are your initiators. No more we're going to be our isolators. We're going to be your initiators ready to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, today we're sharing this message, your plan, and we're inviting someone to come to faith in Jesus Christ. So, Lord, today I pray that if there's someone here who does not have a relationship with you, is not forgiven of their sin, that they right now can come to faith in Jesus Christ. And if there is someone in this room who does not know Jesus, it's a simple prayer. And I'm going to read it right from this card so it makes to show you can use, Dear God, you are, if you are here today, you don't know Jesus, you can say this prayer. Dear God, I know I am a sinner. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe Jesus Christ is your son. I believe that he died for my sin and that you raised him to life. I want to trust him as my savior and follow him as Lord from this day forward. Guide my life and help me to do your will. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, everyone, please, nobody looking up. Just me. I'm just looking. Did anyone come to faith in Christ? Just raise your hand. I just want you to raise your hand if I could see anyone. Is anyone who, who trusted in Jesus Christ today for salvation? Well, then that's, this is what that tells me. Everyone knows Christ in this room. And you know what? If you do, then you have to take initiative now and share the gospel. Father, I thank you today. I praise you, God, that you've given us this day. May you be glorified.